whether it's the international best-selling author of Rich Dad Poor Dad or the co-founder of Match.com or the host of the MSNBC show, Your Business, they all have one thing in common. They are some of the many guests that want you to reach the finish line. Your host is Callan Diggs. Welcome. And welcome. Today, I am delighted to have Dave Chesson. Dave is the Kindlepreneur. That's right, you heard it. The Kindlepreneur. Uh, the, the entrepreneur for Kindle. Uh, he is uh, one of the most sought-after experts, uh, and he helps authors uh, find success on a platform, Amazon. You know, he's, a, he's an expert in regards to Amazon algorithms, um, how to get lots of reviews, and the success tips that makes one an Amazon bestseller for a long time. Dave, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me here. Dave, soon you're going to be a full-time entrepreneur, which that is great because I know that a lot of people want to go in that direction. But perhaps you can share the challenges uh, that you face as an employee uh, and, uh, and share maybe some of the rewards that you really uh, reap uh, from being an entrepreneur. Well, the first thing I would say that's important for anybody who's looking at doing that is creating an exit strategy, right? You know, if you first you need to define what it is you want to exit to. What is what is your definition of success? You know, that was the first question that got me onto this whole process because being without my family or being deployed or constantly, you know, taking on these hardcore jobs, going out to sea, that wasn't my definition of success. I was always missing out on things, missing out on my kids' first step. Um, luckily, I was able to be there for their birth, all of them. But <laughs> the sad part is I had to say the word luckily, you know. Um, and the other thing, too, was I, I had no desire to become an admiral. So what, what, what was I working towards, right? <laughs> and so that's when we realized there had to be an exit strategy. Then there were lots of potential jobs that one could take or a lot of different entrepreneurial things that I could do. <laughs> But I wanted to be able to take my kids to school. I wanted to be able to, you know, be free of wherever we live. You know, we talked about it. I, one place I'd love to move to is like Roatan, Honduras. You know, just pick up and go spend six months in Roatan uh, with the family. Yeah, that's definitely a good spot. <laughs> yeah, I've heard so many great things about it. Uh, it's pretty cheap for, for the quality of the water. And I didn't – so by knowing that, I knew I – wasn't going to take on like a brick and mortar type uh, entrepreneur lifestyle, right? I wasn't going to try to build some some store or anything like that. I didn't want to have inventory where I had to turn around and ship things. So my exit strategy required me finding a entrepreneurial kind of skill set job or so that I could just pick up and move and have free reign of my own schedule. Now. As I started that, I started looking for opportunities. I was online. I was researching and learning. Um, and this kind of gets into the lifestyle. The fact was is that you know, you'll hear a lot of people talk about it, um, about their success. But I want to tell you that it took me three and a half years of devotion um, to get to where I could finally employ my exit strategy. Uh, now, granted, my exit strategy was a little more hardcore because I had to take into account that I'm a husband and a father of three. Um, I had to, you know, so I had to fit those things into my lifestyle, but also I needed to build enough money so that I could easily step away from the military and not put my family in financial strife or at risk. 
Um, I wanted my children to be able to go to summer school even while I'm pursuing you know, the entrepreneurial lifestyle. So those are some of the things I think everybody needs to think about before they begin the journey is, you know, and to recap, that's define what success is and therefore what the true exit should be, uh, what it is that you need to do to be able to make that exit strategy. So not just willy nilly jumping off the deep end and re realizing that you don't know how to swim yet. Um, and then finally, creating phases to make you know that you're moving in the right direction. It's a long journey. It's not, it's not a sprint. It's more of a marathon. And once you have those things, you'll, you'll know what you need to accomplish. And that's when you can start changing your lifestyle to be able to fit it. And so one of the challenges I had was, okay, well, there were times where I was deployed. I'd, I wrote my first book while on board a, a South Korean warship, you know, <laughs> um, and I needed to make changes in my life to be able to fit this. So some of the things I did was I took out movies and TV watching. I used to be a avid TV show watcher. I'd go through like maybe, honestly, like maybe two to three hours a day of watching TV. And that's, you know, you may kid yourself and say you don't do that. But I'd say majority of us out there are watching at least that, you know, whether it's the news in the morning, whether it's you know, the latest Walking Dead show or something like that. Yeah. And when I cut out that three hours and I instead devoted that to learning and reading and growing my skill online, that's that's 21 hours a week that I was building myself and preparing for that exit, you know, that, that I was working towards. So it doesn't have to be a dramatic change. It doesn't have to be a sacrifice of, of, of your true values or the things you want to do. It just needs to be a constant, focused, driven decision for a long haul. And you can exact some amazing changes and get out of the job that you're currently in and into the successful one that you want to be in. I definitely agree. Um, I, we've had, we've had uh, several guests uh, on this show uh, from real estate. Uh, we, we had a real estate entrepreneur and where um, he wasn't really, he wasn't making money in real estate until uh, a year and a half in in regards to, uh, you know, uh, flipping houses. Uh, we uh, just recently talked to uh, a radio show host, a very popular uh, political radio show. Uh, he didn't start, he wasn't able to draw a full-time salary. Uh, from that into four years so uh you know you know what dave is saying is absolutely uh right you know it's not it's, it's not necessarily going to be a short-term gain you know you think oh if i just do a few things uh, within a within a few within two or three months you know i'll be you know rolling in all the big bucks and all the all the cash will start just raining down on me <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> as entrepreneurship is definitely a long-term a strategy and as Dave said it starts with a plan so uh, whatever you want to do uh, that's something you have to keep in mind and you know with Dave you know Dave have successfully uh, done for a while he juggled both of them you know he's you know he uh, you know he's working his NBC job uh, during the day and then at night uh, he's the kindlepreneur and, uh, and, and and he's able to uh, manage that successfully so uh, it is possible to do both but, uh, you know, obviously, you know, especially where Dave at now in his life, Dave definitely want to shift and go and become a full time uh, authorpreneur, Kindlepreneur uh, type. So. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of kind of going to the next thing of uh, talking about, you know, authorpreneurship and, um, and, and you know, kind of increasing your presence, increasing your social presence online with your book. Let's talk about really the social status 
of an author. Because uh, you know, if, if 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 we can go back and look at about fifty years ago, being an author was something extremely significant. Like if you was an author, like let's say uh, in 1970, you know that was a big deal because number one, there wasn't as many books as there was now, and then number two, uh, the fact that when a if a person did get a deal and encountered a book. There, there wasn't that much competition, so it was much easier for the, the people who were authors to extract the majority of sales because there wasn't a lot of competition now. But since that kind of industry has changed, and you know, I think now they say it's almost like what the you know, things like almost like you know, 50 million books on Amazon, it's become harder, and you know, the the, the author now has to be a bit more creative and get more competitive to, be, to stay relevant and to have some success in it. What would you say, Dave, is the social status of an author in this era? Well, the fact of the matter is, is in this era, like you, like you said, anybody can pick up, write a book, and publish it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so you don't need to have a publishing company behind you. You don't need to, you know, struggle through all that. I mean, you know, we could even go into to Harry Potter, right? When, when she wrote that book, there were some 30-plus publishing companies that rejected her. I mean, just imagine that. The most, the biggest money-making book in the world, the, arguably the greatest book, considering how much success it's had, went through the hands of 30 different people, and every one of them failed it. As a matter of fact, the only person who accepted her book, okay, was a guy who her agent kind of, he owed a favor to her agent, and he was like, fine, I'm going to look at it. And instead of reading it, he threw it to his young niece and said, here, you read it. And about like in less than 24 hours, the niece came back. It was like, uh, is there a second book? <laughs> when is she writing the next one? And the guy's like, whoa, wait, what? And so he picked it up and started reading. It was like, wow, and signed a deal. Start with a free audio book. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. You may not have a lot of free time, but you can definitely listen to a book on a plane, on the bus, or even while you're driving. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to click on the Audible banner to get your free audiobook. Start reaching the finish line with your free audiobook. I mean, so you could have the greatest book in the world, and, and back in the 70s, you might have failed miserably because nobody would read it. Now, fast forward to today, and creating a book, publishing it, getting it on, or by publishing it, I mean putting it on Amazon, um, there it is. You have at least surpassed that first hurdle. But because of this, there are so many people that are out there. But let me step back, though. You and I know that anybody can write a book and get it published. And you and I also know, too, that with certain tactics and a little bit of push, you can become a Amazon best-selling author. Now, how long you stay in the best-selling category could be like an hour or two hours, which is usually the case. But... The ability for a stay-at-home mom, um, you know, a lawyer or so to, to, you know, or any profession out there, just sit down and write a book and become labeled as an Amazon bestseller or just bestseller in that case is really powerful. My family still to this day doesn't get like they, they're like, oh, wow, you're a best-selling author. I was like, Amazon best-selling author. But yeah, they're yeah. like, 
no, that's super cool, you know. They, and it's like, well, it's 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 actually kind of easy to do. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but they don't yeah. get it. Nobody. I would say like a ninety-five to ninety-eight percent of America, you know, still sees that as an amazing thing. Um, a lawyer who's able to talk to their clientele and say, you know, well, I am a best-selling author on you know law, uh, the new era. Yeah. And how how much a co- co- of a conversion would that be? I mean, you've gone and looked at different lawyers, and this one guy says I'm a best-selling author on the subject. Um, I think that guy wins. He gets yeah. my my money. Most definitely. So. Between authors, it's not as big of a deal because, you know, we all know that you can become a bestseller. But outside of that, there's so much business opportunity by being labeled as such. So to the common, uh, to the average populace, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And it is an opportunity that anyone can grow in. But amongst our own ranks, we, 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 we get it. We see the Amazon bestseller rank or bestseller mark and we're like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, for cool. sure. Yeah, there's there's uh you know there's like multiple tiers of I would like to say I like to say uh, bestseller status and where you know I mean probably the easier easier ones to get in on is Amazon and Kobo, but then you also you have ones like you know getting on uh, the the USA Today bestseller list or the LA Times that'll be the next level up, and then obviously the the top one that everyone covets would be the New York Times. So uh, oh, yeah. so yeah, I mean I you know. Um, uh, as us authors, you know, it's it's great to have that label because, um, you know, to, to the rest of the world, it definitely gives us an edge as far as attracting business. Uh, but, you know, like I, you know, as you stated before, among us, we know that ultimately what matters is how many books that we're actually selling. And, uh, Absolutely. you know, uh, so and, and that's what's that's what's ultimately important. And, and so to kind of dig deeper into that, you know, so we have two we have kind of two worlds when it comes to book publishing. We kind of have the traditional side and we kind of have the self-publishing side. You know, some people will say there's a third there's a hybrid. You know, really, I, you know, really, I, I like to say the hybrid is kind of like a uh, kind of an arm of the traditional in a way. But um, you know, for me, I, I, I got my my publisher was uh, Morgan James, uh, kind of looking at both sides, and uh, I thought I was going to initially self-publish, but uh, you know, it, I was a first-time author, and I thought, hey, you know, you know, I, I got a deal. My best shot is probably to go with uh, you know someone who who already has a network, who already has good distribution. Who already has good channels in place that can give that can uh, that can give me the best footing to have a lot of success with this book, and and mm-hmm. you know, I love my publisher, great people, but with all said and done, uh, I, I could have done exactly all what they did by myself. Uh, the only the only edge I give them is their distribution. You know, Morgan James is not it's not really a it's not it's not a big six publisher by any means. It's like a mid tier publisher, but the distribution they have. You know, it's amazing. Like my book is my book is available in over thirty different countries, but still, the majority of my book sales are in the U.S. So that kind of that kind of uh, kind of outlines that. But what do you think about that, Dave, in regards to the traditional publishing world versus the self-publishing world? Do you think, in some respects, maybe the traditional might be better than self-published, and vice versa? Well, you know. I've been looking to find this quote, but I I can't verify that Taylor Swift said this, but I love it. Taylor Swift had said something to the lines of, back in the day, as an artist, okay, whether it's music or or writing, you would need to first get the record label or get the publishing contract, 
and then you would go find the fans, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, the publishing company would then take your work, they would get it out there, and if you were a good writer or a good musician, then you would grow. But that's not lo- how it is today. Today, you need to get the fans first and then get the record label slash you know, um, publishing contract. What, what I mean by that is, is that um, you know, publishers... There's so many books that are out there. There's so many opportunities. They're, they're getting hundreds of, of requests all the time. They are not going to invest major time, money, or anything into you unless they really think that there's a big chance they're going to get a good return on their investment. They look at your book, and if there's an angle that they think is just prime, you know, like right now they believe that a certain type of book is the hot seller and that they've got an angle to get it up there, then then that's cool. But what normally happens, though, is, is like if you're very famous and popular, if your name's like Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, or Guy Kawasaki, and you're like, I've got a book. Then they're like, well, we know we're going to make money. Of course, we're going to help you, Guy. <laughs> we'll take your contract. Let's do this. Uh-huh. And they will make guys, um, Guy Kawasaki's life much easier. They'll, they'll work on some of the distribution rights. They'll have professional cover designers. They'll take care of all that work so people like Guy Kawasaki can just continue to write and approve what they're doing. And in return, the publishing company takes a percentage. Someone like, you know, myself or, you know, others that are out there that don't have a giant, you know, famous name that aren't, you know, on TV or anything like that. You're going to have to convince that publishing company that you're worth a contract. But more importantly, you're going to have to convince them to actually help you. A lot of authors out there find out that they will finally get that contract and they're excited and then the next thing, the publishing company is like, okay, well, you need to sell 20,000 books, you know, by the next three months, you know, or else otherwise, good luck. Uh-huh. It's like, wait, what? I got to sell them. I thought you were going to sell them. I'm like, uh, well, if you sell 20,000 copies, we'll, we'll, we'll jump in and help more. Uh-huh. Um, and that really leaves a lot of self-publishers or, excuse me, publisher, excuse me, authors uh, very frustrated because they're going to do all this work to sell the book and the publishing company is taking a large chunk of that change and they're really not going to invest the necessary time to make actual sales themselves until they think, you know, you've got a chance to make a money. Now we move into self publishing where you're still going to have to do all that stuff, right? Uh, in this case you will select the cover, you will have to format it. Um, but you're getting all of the money, right? Uh, you're getting, just about, yeah. Amazon's yeah. got to take a little cut or whatever market is selling it, you know, that you have have it on. But you're making a significantly more uh, of your own sales than you would if you had a publishing company. So I believe that the, the perfect transition is you start self-publishing, you build your, your skill, you build your platform, you create a following, and then you have a much better chance of not only landing a publishing company contract, but also getting them really involved to the point that they're helping you to sell and grow even more. Yeah, and um, that's something that you have been successful with, uh, Dave. Uh, I, I believe that you've self-published all of your books, correct? That's correct, yep. Yeah, so you self-published all of your books, and um, uh, most of your books, I mean, I, I, I believe you offer both components, but obviously the majority of your sales, or pretty much the majority, I guess everyone's sales nowadays, is the, uh, is the uh, e-book version. And that's why, you know, you're coined as obviously the Kindlepreneur, because typically, uh, you know, that's where, you know, that's, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the area where you concentrate most of your sales, or, or naturally people are kind of, I guess, gravitate to the e-book rather than the paperback book. Want the full episode? 
you can get it when you become a premium radio subscriber. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your subscription today. What do you get? You get things like early access to the episodes, commercial free one hour episodes, mastermind calls with our guests, freebies from our guests, as well as much more. Go to reachingthefinishline.com forward slash buy to get your premium subscription for it's another way for you to start reaching your finish line. Yourself, you write under lots of pen names because uh, because you, you want to show people that it's possible to have success with a book no matter who you are. You know, instead of, uh, you know, it's, it's not because a person has success because they have this popular name like, oh, Robert Kiyosaki. And so, so basically, you know, he may have a successful book and any, if he writes any future book, it'll be just, it'll, it'll probably be as successful or more successful because of the first book your intent is to write under multiple different pen names so it does so just to show people that a person can have success even as a first-time author perhaps you can actually uh if you know if if, if you're at liberty or you know if you want to uh, uh talk about you know the, you know uh you know one of your one of your kind of pen names the the the, the book and kind of kind of what was the strategy and getting that on uh the bestseller list Sure. Well, first thing is, is that as an author, I like to go and look at what people want to read. Okay. Uh, I'm not some amazing writer that I could choose any subject and write the greatest piece of work ever. Uh, I like to at least put the market on my side by saying, okay, here is a group of people that are looking for this particular book, this particular subject matter, whatever. And they're not finding what they want. There, there might be some books out there, but man, they're not really good or uh, they don't really address the pain point of that particular market. So I start by doing that. And when I find that market, I learn about who they are and uh, more about their demographics and things like that. And I go and kind of start talking with them, learning about what it is that they're, that they're truly wanting to accomplish with a book and things like that. And then I start preparing and building the book itself. Now, I use a pen name uh, because of a couple of things. One is, is that as somebody who writes in so many different subjects, it's kind of like, you know, if you were to click, if say I just used Dave Chesson, you were to click on there, you would see, you know, crazy different subjects. It's kind of be like, well, this guy is shotgunning all over the place, you know. He's, <laughs> um, so that's one thing. The other thing, too, though, is, is that with a pen name, there are a lot of really good reasons why an author can use a pen name. For some of them that are out there, it could be because they just want to have a separation between their professional life and their personal life. The other thing is that they've got like a name that is just ridiculously hard to say, remember, or even put on a book cover, so they shorten it up. Um, and the th- and a third, which you know, e- very popular writers have done, is that just because you know it will, they'll change the name because it will sound better for the genre they're writing. Uh, you know, not to get on the J.K. Rowling kick again, but. Uh, she chose J.K. Rowling, right? Um, because the, one of the first publishers that looked at her book said, "Nobody's going to buy a book on wizards from from a woman." Uh-huh. And I mean, a very sexist thing to say, but uh, that marketer believed that that was the case, and she thought about it. And she's like, "All right," and she just initialed it. Um, yeah, you know, and that way she it and it sure enough, it it helped her get that contract that we talked about. Um, <clears throat> So there are a plethora of reasons why they do it. For me, when I choose a pen name, though, I'll look at the demographics. And if I'm 
writing for a group that's for 50, 60 year olds, then the pen name that I will choose is a, I'll, I'll usually choose a name that was popular back in, you know, some 50 or 60 years ago. I'll go to like the baby registry, you know, and find the most popular name of the ninth, you know, 1967 or something. And I'll, you know, choose that because right. it's funny because names have a certain feel to it, right? right? If I'm writing a book on astrophysics and I choose the name of, of Destiny Starchild, you know, or something like that, that's like, uh, well, maybe Starchild is kind of a cool connection, but you know, that just doesn't sound like an astrophysicist. Right. Right. Well, let's, let's, um, well, Let's let's give an example, okay? So I, I know you write to, I know you write about lots of topics, um, but perhaps maybe 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 uh, one of the books that you have written under a certain pen name that you that's maybe neutral or you feel comfortable uh, talking about, so maybe it could illustrate it for the audience. Well, so <clears throat> I mean, when we're looking at like certain genres, right? Like a horror genre shouldn't have you know a sunshine name. Or, you know, a, a scientific book shouldn't have, you know, a very young, vibrant name and things like that. Like, they all have a different feel to it. So I think that's something that you should really uh, look into if you're, also, if you're choosing a pen name. Remember, the pen name's going to go on your cover and it's going to sit next to your book. Um, so in a way, it should kind of all tie in. I, I, I had an article that actually listed, like, all of these famous people that used um, pen names because... You know, it was like, ah, this name just doesn't fit. I can't market this. Um, you know, and even, even you know, J.K. Rowling did a pen name completely called Robert Galebraith on one of her books just, just because, well, she wanted to know if her writing was still selling, you know, even if she wasn't J.K. Rowling. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's so many different examples of famous authors non-famous authors, you know, for different reasons, choosing a different name that they can use. Yes, but, <laughs> but, um, uh, I mean, if, if you want to share, uh, what is one of, what is one of your pen names? Um, uh, maybe, 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 maybe a book <clears throat> that someone could check out maybe on Amazon and perhaps they can see, uh, maybe they can kind of look over it and kind of see it for themselves. Well, I'm actually kind of, um, secretive, I guess, about my books, because one of the big things that, you know, we started with is I start by finding out where there's a market, but there isn't that much of competition. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, it allows me to kind of create the book for it. If I started going around saying, okay, well, I wrote on this particular niche subject and this niche subject and this niche subject, I'd probably wake up, you know, like a couple weeks later and I'd look and I'd see that I'd, all of a sudden I went from like one competitor to like 22 competitors. Um, I so I, I <laughs> hold close because yeah, it, it's, it's one of those where, you know, I've, I've validated that the market's there, the money's there. And, um, so it helps that I'm not putting those titles out there next to my name. Cause otherwise I just give people the blueprint towards, Oh, just write a book on the same subject. Dave did boom, 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 boom. And woo. <laughs> yeah. But that's a good point you make, Dave, but don't you think after a while that uh, it's like, obviously, when people read a book and they get sold on the content. Now, now, now there's, I mean, there's a difference. We can talk about this. Now, if you just want to kind of have a, a monopoly on a certain 
per, uh, uh, topic, uh, you know, kind of on the, uh, the self-publishing world, that, uh, and, you know, and, and the quality could be not as great, then, you know, the people who are interested in that topic, well, if, you're op- if, if, if your book is the only option, then, yeah, everyone's going to flood in and buy your book. But then you have the other side, Dave, and where if you're actually writing a good book, you know, you're writing a good book, you get a lot of reviews on Amazon, and you start building a following, it doesn't matter your competition because people know, oh, this is Dave Chesson or this is John Bly, and you're still going to sell books. I'll give you an example. You know, I had Robert Kiyosaki on uh, several weeks ago, and he's a great example because – He's a personal finance author, and there are so many personal finance authors uh, out there. But when he puts a book out, he automatically becomes uh, a USA Today bestseller, a uh, uh, New York Times bestseller. He's been on the Amazon bestseller Hall of Fame. I think that's the other side, Dave. Like if you write a great book and people if you build a great brand and a great following and people are used to uh, your writing – I think the competition wouldn't matter. Uh, coming to a close, Dave. If people want to find you, uh, learn about your, uh, you know, learn about your products or contact you, how would they do that? If you go to Kindlepreneur.com, I've got a contact page, and you can go ahead and send any questions whatsoever through that. Uh, at, I still, to this day, don't let my uh, virtual assistants or my Kindlepreneur team touch that email. I always respond. So. Uh, just send me any question you have um, or whatever, and you'll get my response. And it's kindlepreneur.com. That's correct. All right. Dave, thank you for being our guest. Hey, thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs. If you haven't already, purchase the book, Reaching the Finish Line, at Reaching the Finish Line. Now it's time for you to start reaching your finish line. So what are you waiting for? Start 